Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through. Keeping their delicate skin healthy and happy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick and goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable. When my oldest was little, she would get the worst diaper rash. It left me feeling so desperate to help her while also wanting something gentle on her skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor. When she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash, she let nothing get in her way. You can use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel confident that you are making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra-premium formula for moms that won't settle when it comes to their little ones. Soothe and restore with active ingredients being dimethicone and petrolatum. You can find more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com or find it on Amazon or Walmart.com. You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast, and this is episode number 76. Today, we are talking with Brittany from Louisiana, and Brittany is, I think, the very first one of our VBAC trained doulas that we've had on the show. Or no, maybe it's not. The first one not from Utah. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, the first we've one had out a couple of state. from Utah. We've had, yeah, we've had Sarah Pixton with Birth Words, who's amazing, and a couple others. Karina. Karina was there, and Cassandra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was before they were feedback Yeah, trained. it was. Yeah. yeah. So, but like, guys, this is really exciting because... It's for someone from another state. That's taking our online VBAC doula training. And so I'm really excited. But before I like geek out and get all like giddy, squealy about this story, (laughs) um, which is a really good one, by the way, if you didn't already guess, um, Megan has our review of the week. Yes, I do. And this is from Trizzled, (laughs) I think is how you say it, on Apple Podcasts. And she says, I absolutely love this podcast. Megan and Julie are amazing and provide so much hope and inspiration. All the wonderful stories have helped me so much throughout my VBAC journey. Thank you, ladies, for creating this wonderful space. And thank you, Trizzled, for your amazing... Trizzled, That's what I thought of. For your amazing review because <laughs> that just makes ours smile. We know we say it. All the time. We love your reviews. And like she said, this space, you guys, our Facebook, VBAC link community, and our Instagram, it's such a fun space to be in. So if you haven't liked or joined any of that on Facebook or Instagram, head over and do it because these women all over the world are amazing, just like Brittany and Trizzled. I just thought of the PC laptops guy where he's like, PC laptops, we love you. And I'm like, we love you. We love you. Awesome. Well, should we turn the time over to Brittany? Wait, wait. I got a story to tell first. Okay. Okay. I got a story, everyone. I was just at the most amazing birth today. It was not a VBAC birth and it was not a first time mom, but it was a home birth. This was her fifth baby. And I was her doula for her third birth. And then she hired me again for her fifth birth. And it was pretty amazing. Her babies, um, she's a very petite woman. She's, I don't know, what would you say? She's like 5'2", maybe. 5'2", 5'3". 5'2", yeah. Pretty short, pretty pretty slender, thin frame. And all her babies have been 
pushing or over nine pounds before today. <laughs> My little giggle. This woman, her labor went from, you know, eight to 10 minutes apart to fast and furious super quick. So I sped down there as fast as I could. And this woman, if, oh my gosh, I, she had a videographer and a photographer. So watch out because there's going to be some pictures being shared. But this woman, what had so much power and strength and she was literally like roaring through her contractions and and every time she would yell the the it would push her baby farther down and it was just the most amazing thing and it was it was a lot of work for her physically there's a lot of emotional work going on that we had to do there's just a lot of working dynamics come come out but let me tell you what guess how big this baby was when it came out guess how big I know you're going to guess. I'm going to do a little pause. Guess. <laughs> 10 pounds, 9 ounces. Yeah. She, this little teeny woman, twitched a 10 pound, 9 ounce baby out of her vagina. And guess what? His head, 15 inches. That's like off the charts. That's over 100 percentile for his head. Well, no wonder she, she was roaring because there was a lot of power coming out of that house. Let me tell you what. So I just wanted, I was so excited. I'm like, can I take a picture of your baby? Can I share on my feedback thing? Because people need to know that even petite women can have big babies mm -hmm. if yep. they're just given the chance. Yep. And she was past her due date, by the way. Her due date was just several days ago. And she's amazing. So I just had to tell you that little story because a little bit of inspiration for your Women of Strength Wednesday. But anyways, before I get too far off, here is our intro. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Before we take up any more time, we are going to turn it over to Brittany and let her share her incredible, exciting, and super fast VBAC story with you. <laughs> Can't wait, Brittany. Turn it up. <laughs> All righty. Well, my story starts. Back in November of 2011, when I gave birth to my son, his name is Jack, I was 20 years old and very naive to the birth experience. Mm -hmm. um, I knew I wanted a natural birth, but I did absolutely nothing to prepare myself for that. And I just thought that I would go into labor and he would come out and that would be the end of that. So I chose the first doctor I could find at the closest hospital and my first red flag should have been the due date that was given to me because my cycles at the time were consistently 34 days, but they gave me a due date based off of a 28-day cycle. So mm -hmm. six days off for a first-time yeah, mom. That's pretty significant a difference. Pretty, pretty big deal, <laughs> especially now knowing, because back then I was like, I knew that my due date was supposed to be based off a 34-day cycle, but I trusted them to give me correct information so I didn't look at a calendar to try to back up their due date I was just like okay this is the due date they're giving me so this is the due date that I have so it was a pretty smooth and uneventful pregnancy it was beautiful perfect I got 
all the way to the end and I was going in for a 40 week appointment on their end. I was 40 weeks, two days on in reality, I was only 39 weeks, three days, Thought it was a regular appointment. So I, I was a college student. I went to class all day. I had nothing to eat. I just went to class, went to my appointment and I get there and they say they want to do NFT. And at the time I had no idea what that was because I was completely uneducated about everything. And I go in the room and they hook me up to monitors. They come in every 30 minutes, tell me to turn on this side, turn on that side. And about two and a half hours in, the nurse practitioner comes in and she's like, we don't like the way baby's responding to you on your left side. And I was like, oh my God, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So she's like, we want to, he's, he's had uh, his heart rates lowered twice and freaking out and they're like we want to send you next door to the hospital to have be induced right now and i'm like okay Mm. i trust you you're telling me something's wrong with my baby so i'm gonna listen to you Mm -hmm. so i go absolutely nothing to eat that day scared for my baby's life so i it's about 4 30 p.m that i the induction starts about an hour later anesthesiologist assistant comes in and she asked me if I wanted to get an epidural. And I told her, no, I wanted to have as natural of a birth as possible. And she just sits down and starts giving me every reason why I should get an epidural. Hmm. Completely, completely scaring the crap out of me. Yeah. So I get it. By 6.30, it's given to me two hours after Pitocin. That's where we were at. And... I never felt any contractions. I didn't have any before I got the epidural. I just did what was asked of me, and that was that. At about 7.30 the next morning, I was complete, and my nurse checked me, went to get all the the things that the people needed to push out a baby, and all of a sudden, my epidural wears off, and I went from feeling absolutely nothing to feeling every possible sensation oh you could gosh, absolutely feel while rough. you were in labor. That is a rough transition. <laughs> and, yes, it <laughs> is. It's very, very, very rough. And I tell them, they look at it, and for some reason, the anesthesiologist couldn't be found. Everybody's looking for him. Nobody could find him. And my doctor comes in, and she stands against the wall with her arms crossed and does absolutely nothing oh. the entire time I'm pushing. That's wow. awesome. And it was, yeah, like... She never came check on me at all the entire 14 hours I was in labor. She stood she against the wall the two hours I put. Like no, nothing. Nothing. Oh I didn't even see her at my appointment. I saw her nurse practitioner at my appointment. So I never even got a chance to like talk to her about the induction beforehand. It was decided like behind closed doors. And then I finally see her when it's time to push. That makes me <laughs> so upset for you. Yeah, it was it was crazy. And, you know, it's like 2011. It's before mommy groups on Facebook was a thing. Yeah. And before, like, you know, knowing your options was really a thing. And it, it got scary because here I am pushing and not really knowing what to do. No one's really directing me on how to do it. And they're just, like, counting and I'm pushing and I'm feeling everything. And it. I'm on my back. Nobody's offering any types of comfort measures or even making me get to my side or even trying to like, you know, even an episiotomy at some point would have maybe helped. But no, my doctor just stood against the wall with her arms crossed, screaming at, we pretty much got into arguments the whole time because I'm like looking at her, begging her for some kind of relief. And she's just like, 
calm down, like rolling her eyes at me. Like it was insane. And finally, after a while of I'm realizing that the girl's not coming and I couldn't take the pain anymore. I couldn't even stick with pushing during the counts. I beg her for a C-section and she's like, she straight up tells me, I'll make you push for two more hours if I want to. <gasps> no, and what? it was the rudest thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was crazy. She was, I, I, I can't say, <laughs> but finally, 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 I just get to a point like two hours of pushing. I just got to a point where it was enough arguing. Do it now. I'm done. And she finally like threw her hands in the air and was like, fine, I'll give you what you want. Sign the consent form, and then all of a sudden, they find the anesthesiologist. So they tell my husband to go gear up. They send him into a room to get dressed, like to put all the scrubs on to be able to watch the C-section. And I remember them wheeling me to the OR and them like checking me every now and then to see if the epidural is like kicking in, and it never kicks in. So they decide to put me completely under. And... My husband. What is up with that girl? Like, what the heck yeah, is going I on? I have no idea. It was a crazy, really crazy experience. Yeah. But my, it just, it was so traumatic because it just, it, like, even postpartum just gets worse because, you know, my husband says that he waited in a room after getting suited up for like forty-five minutes, waiting for someone to come get him or tell him something because he thought he was going to be in the OR with me. So finally, he leaves the room, finds my family. They're all, like, wandering around, wandering around the hospital, like, trying to find information about me. Nobody knows anything. Mm. And so they get back to the nursery to see if maybe they can, like, see the baby. He finally gets wheeled in, and they don't let my husband hold him. They don't even let anybody go up to him. <laughs> so he's just alone with the nurse Aww. for, like, almost two hours waiting for somebody to hold him. And I wake up in a room just staring at the ceiling and I can hear other patients like groaning and moaning. And I have a panic attack while I'm laying there and a, lady, a nurse comes and finally hints to me. And I wake up and they wheel me to my room and I finally meet my baby. And I mean, I was so happy, so happy to meet him. But it was two hours after his birth. I was the first person to see him two hours after his birth. <laughs> And that, for me, is the most dramatic part that, yeah. that he got, like, besides, like, being checked by nurses, he got no physical contact with anyone um, after. So, so I think that out of everything that happened, that was the most dramatic part of it, was mm -hmm. knowing that he missed out on that. And I really think it affected breastfeeding because he mm -hmm. wouldn't latch at all. He was really groggy the first day, and we never really got a hang of it, and it just didn't work out for us. And that's what, like, at first, I come from an area that's, like, feedbacks really weren't talked about before, like, a year or so ago. Mm -hmm. And when they were talked about, they were, like, talked about with a bunch of restrictions. Yep. So, at first, at first, I was like, okay, so this is going to be, if we have more kids, going to be C-section. And about a year later, I decided that we wanted, a, like, eventually we would want another baby. So, I started like doing some research and deciding like if I was going to have any kind of birth that was in anything that I wanted, I needed to do my research, do my homework and not just try to go with the flow like I did the last time. 
And I finally stumbled upon, I don't even remember. I don't remember if it was like AmericanPregnancy.org or if it was the Mayo Clinic. It was one of those two I stumbled upon. And I saw, I saw VBAC and I got so excited. And I just spent the next couple of years doing as much research as I could on VBACs and learning about my body, learning about ovulation and all that. And in October 2015, we got pregnant with our daughter, Clark. And I knew from the start that I wasn't going to take anybody's crap in the delivery room. I was going to fight for my VBAC and do what I needed to do to get it. And I chose a different doctor this time. I did my research on that. He was great. I went in there with my foot down. He knew from the beginning what I wanted and how I was going to get it. And he never tried to stand in my way for it. And the pregnancy for her was a lot different. It was very hard. And we had a really big scare at 36 weeks with the gallstones. Mm. That almost ruined things. But thankfully, I was able to get those to go away Mm -hmm. and stick to the plan. When I found out I had the gallstones and there may have been some kind of inducing early section talk, I decided to get my butt into gear and just start doing every little thing that I didn't find too crazy to get my body like ready to go into labor. So I got my yoga ball. I was on that every single minute of the day I could be on it. I started um, taking primrose oil. I started putting some clary sage on my wrist. At 40 weeks, five days, I hadn't been checked. I didn't do cervical checks for a few weeks. But at 40 weeks, five days, I decided to do one just because I was past my due date and I just wanted to see where things were. And I was three centimeters. Yay. Yeah, it that was would great. Excite everything me. I was, <laughs> yes, everything I was doing was working. I was yeah. like, I think he's, I, I want to say I was 80% effaced. I can't remember exactly, but I want to say it was 80. Three centimeters, 80% effaced. She wasn't engaged yet. She was still high. But the day I went in, my doctor was like, look, I'm going on vacation in two days. And I was like, no, you're not. And he was like, I am. So he asked me if I wanted to do a membrane sweep. And I wasn't very educated on membrane sweeps. So I, I decided to do it. Um, that was around 1130 that morning. After I did it, I went back to work. I have a little receptionist sit-down job. So I just went back to work. I got off of work at 5. And I went do some shopping. So I went walk for about an hour. I went home. We had my brother-in-law and his fiance over. We played board games. I was on my ball the whole time. I was eating pineapple, anything to try to get myself to go into labor that night so I could make sure that I had my doctor because I didn't want any other doctor. After that, when they left, I went take a warm bath. I stayed in there for about an hour, kind of dozed off in there. And then we tried to have sex after and it just hurt way too much it did not happen like two minutes in and I was like that's it nope get out <laughs> and um I went to sleep around 1 30 it was really late and then at 5 30 a.m I woke up to this really bad pain in my cervix and at first I didn't think it was a contraction because from everything I had read and everyone that I had talked to contractions were menstrual cramp feeling And this was nowhere near anything that people were saying and what I was reading. This was, it was all in my cervix. It just felt like burning kind of, but also like 
stretching and painful. <laughs> but it wasn't, like, so bad that I couldn't, like, talk or breathe through them. So I gave it a little while, and then about seven minutes later, I had another one. But I still wasn't, like, convinced it was a contraction because it was still in my cervix, not in, like, anywhere near my, like, ovaries or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So another seven minutes go by, and I have another one. So by that one, I'm like, okay, this is a contraction. It's the real deal. So I try to wake up my husband, and he's, like, dead asleep, couldn't wake him up. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I have a while. We're just going to labor at home for a while. I get up. I go pick up a few things. I go, like, make sure our bags are packed. And then I decide, about a, it was about a half hour later, I decided to go take a bath. And it's because the contractions were getting a little bit stronger, and I wanted to ease them off a little bit. So I hop in the tub. They're still about seven minutes apart. Some of them were five minutes apart. And my sister at the time lived with us and she was getting ready for work and she saw that I was up. So she came in the bathroom and she's like, what are you doing in the tub? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm in labor. And she was like, should I call in today? She only had like a six hour shift. So I was like, no, go to work. This is going to be an all day thing. You're good. So she goes to work and about 20 minutes later, my contractions go from like five to seven minutes apart to two minutes apart. <laughs> and I finally hop out of the tub at like 6.30. I wake my husband up and I'm like, hey, we have to go right now. So he springs out of bed. He's freaking out. We're like trying to brush our teeth, get ready. And then I have to go. I w- wake up my son and grab him and grab his bag and try to put him in the car. And by the time I get to the car, I feel like. I may have hit transition because I'm like walking around, like trying to ease the, the pain of the contraction a little bit. And somehow I end up at the front of the car and all of a sudden I have this contraction that just like throws my one knee up into the air and my hand in the air. And I just like jump onto the car, like on the hood of the car. I remember that was the craziest moment of everything was just for some reason I needed to be on the hood of the car. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And so our, the hospital that we, we decided to go to a different hospital this time, and it was a 30-minute drive for us. So that 30 minutes, the contractions were a minute apart the entire time. And my poor son's on the back seat because we had arranged for somebody to pick him up. But because things happened so fast, it was just kind of like a, sorry, dude, you have to come with us type of thing. And we get to the hospital. And my husband drops me off at the ER because he did not want to deal with the parking garage with me in the car. <laughs> and the second I get out of the car, they know exactly what's up because my husband was like speeding through the drive. <laughs> and he speeds off after they come put me in the wheelchair and they run me across the hospital because the hospital, the maternity ward is on the complete opposite side of the hospital as the ER. So they have to run me all the way across the hospital by the time we reach the front, my husband's running through the front doors with my son on his shoulders, and we all get in the elevator together. And by this time, by the time we get there, there's like four or five attendants like dealing with me because I'm just like screaming and trying to jump out of my chair. And as the elevator is going up to the second floor, one of the attendants asked the other one if, her, if my water's broken. And as soon as she says no, my water breaks in the elevator. And... <laughs> it was so surreal. Like I felt like I was in like a movie, like these crazy scenes in a movie where uh-huh. these labors are just like happening so fast and waters are just breaking everywhere. 
So we get to the room, and I just jump out of the chair, take my pants off, and lay on the table, and I just start pushing. (laughs) Nobody's telling me anything. And everything was great until this point. And I'm pushing, and they have no idea who I am. They didn't have time to ask questions. They're just like, push this baby out. One of the nurses puts a monitor up to my stomach just to kind of get the baby's heart rate. And I may have pushed like three or four times by this point. And all of a sudden, I feel this burning, like somebody lights my perineum on fire with a a lighter. And I look down, and the doctor just gave me an episiotomy. And I was like, no, you didn't. So I started screaming. And they were like, oh, baby's heart rate's low. We have to get her out now. I lost my mind. Wow. So just a couple more pushes and she's out. It was amazing. Her feeling her come out of me was just the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. And they take her to the table to make sure that her, the heart rate thing was just like a, something to do with pushing, which it was because most babies, their heart rates drop during yeah. pushing. Yep. <laughs> and so I'm like trying to just like recover from the fact that I just had a back. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the nurse gives me a shot in my leg of Pitocin. And I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? She didn't <laughs> because, say anything. And, that frustrates no, me so she just much. Gave it to me. I know, and it's the worst part of being out of birth. As like I'm a birth doula, and a lot of the times, most of my clients know what's happening beforehand. But I have seen it way too many times. Oh, Episiotomies and that Pitocin shot. <laughs> it's insane. But um, no, they just do it. And I was only there for five minutes. That's what gets me the most. Is that like five minutes there and two interventions and. I'm, that's really frustrating. But, yeah. So from the from that shot, I start shaking really bad, like bouncing off the table bad. So I decided that I wasn't ready to hold her yet. So I let my husband hold her. So at least somebody close to her was being held. And uh, it was about 20 minutes. I decide I was good enough to, I felt comfortable enough and steady enough to hold her. And I looked at her, and she looked back at me, and I put her on the boob, and she took it right away, and it was so healing. Even even with the even with the episiotomy, even with the pitocin, it was so healing. And the funniest part was when the doctor came down to stitch me up for my episiotomy. He's working on it, and then all of a sudden, he sees my C-section scar, and he's like, "Wait a second, this was a oh, V-back." And I was like, yeah, it's me back. <laughs> and I signed, I didn't even sign consent forms until like Ooh, everything that happened. Oh no. <laughs> I signed consent forms after the fact. Like they already happened in here. I am signing consent forms like 30 minutes later. Oh, it was isn't great. That silly. But it, like it's, just, it's insane. It is insane. Like what? It just <laughs> blows my mind. Anyways, go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that, no, that, that's pretty much the story. They, I mean, um, they didn't let my son in the in the room while I delivered. If we would have labored there, they would have let him in while I labored. But for the delivery part, they don't allow children in there. So when we were in the hall, since none of our family was there yet, because we called one person like as we're driving to the hospital, you know, the nurses were so kind and they took him to their lounge and they like talked to him and like talked over him until like my mother-in-law got there to like 
take him into the hall for us. But it was nice. I mean, it was just me and my husband there for the birth, and it happened so quick that I didn't have to hear any hassle from anyone. And I don't even think, like, the pain wasn't, like, as bad as I thought it was going to be. It was compared to my first birth, the contractions I felt with that, it was so much easier. And I was so much more educated this time. I took, there was, actually, there was a VBAC class at the hospital I delivered at. It wasn't like a so much in detail class, but it was like a, um, I guess, an intro to VBAC class. And I took that and I just watched every birth video I could possibly get my hands on on YouTube. Yeah. And I think all of that really helped really get me in the mindset. But it was, it was great. Even with the worst parts of it, it was still amazing. Yeah. Even with some of those things that you wouldn't have desired, normally that happened. You're like, yep, totally did that. (laughs) You're like, yeah, this is a feedback. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think sometimes, um, you know, uh, Midwife Bliss talked about it in special episode 14 where she's like, you know, your birth is like a wedding she talked about it more like in like how we would pay for it. But I like to relate it in this circumstance to like your birth is like a wedding, like your wedding day, you can make all these plans and you can prepare and you can do all of these things ahead of time to get ready. And you can hire your wedding planner and make sure you you know, the tuxedos are ordered and all the flowers are good and the catering's mm-hmm. fine. And you can like get all your flower arrangements ready and make sure your mother-in-law or future mother-in-law is not going to, you know, wear a white dress or whatever. But um, <laughs> but on your wedding day, most of us have something that doesn't quite go right to plan. And for some of us, it's big things like, you know, the catering didn't show up or the flowers were wilted or your mother-in-law does show up in a white dress on, on your wedding day. But for some people, it's just little, little things like, like my, I, I didn't, I wasn't too particular about how things went, but I remember to this day, my mother-in-law made this beautiful like wedding book for us where for people to like sign in like a guest little signature, sorry, like notes and stuff. It's like a scrapbook. It's gorgeous with like all our engagement pictures and everything. And I had bought an sharpie markers and and white sharpie markers because it was like brown pages and teal pages because my colors were teal and brown this is probably really long-winded but anyways my brown pages (laughs) were supposed to have the white marker on them but somebody forgot to bring the white markers out so there was brown markers or black markers markers. on the brown pages and on the teal pages and you can read everybody's stuff just fine on the teal pages but on the brown pages it's really hard to read the writing because it's in black and that was just like a little detail (laughs) thing right but but it's you know and it's kind of like birth you know sometimes you're gonna get most of what you want but there's probably something that's not going to go how you expect it to or how you plan for. And sometimes it's a lot of things that go wrong and are not not wrong, but like not to plan. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the things we try and get across a lot in our classes and in our podcast and, and in our conversations with people like in our community and everything is that prepare and plan for your perfect birth, but also educate yourself about all of the unexpected things. So that way, first of all, like right. you know, and you can meet them with a with an educated and intuitive mind, but also so that you can look back from a place of like understanding and, and true information rather than like regret or wishing you would have known a little bit better. Um, and for you, like, 
I'm really mad at those people that do those things without <laughs> asking you. Like, unfortunately, know, that is something that happens so much in the birth room. And you did not have, you just didn't have time to like react or, or watch because you were in there and you were just pushing your baby out. Right. And so right, I think exactly. a lot of people were just reacting, but that's still not a good excuse to just, you know, do an episiotomy without at least giving you a heads up, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's really And I really try not to like, I try not to let that dictate that birth because compared to my first birth, like it was so beautiful and I'm so lucky that I was able to, first of all, make it to the hospital and secondly, just like be able to have a natural birth and have my baby come out healthy. So I really not try to like dwell on what happened in the delivery room? Yeah, it's but just a I am black pregnant with our third. Brown pages, so <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'm pregnant with I'm pregnant with our third right now. I'm Yay. due in January, Aww. and it <laughs> yeah, and so I, it just prepares me for the next one. I know what I want, and I knew how to get it last time, but this time around, I am looking for those little things because mm-hmm. this is going to be our last baby. Yeah. We you know we've decided this is our last. We're not having any more children. So this birth is if it, if it's if it's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong because there's complications. It's not going to go wrong because my doctors are impatient. It's going to go my way or no way. My way or so I have, way. I have I have my doula in place. I have Yay. I picked a different OB this time because my my OB who I had for my VBAC is no longer VBAC friendly. He oh, was so amazing during my VBAC, but now he doesn't take VBACs anymore. Really? He takes oh second time VBAC. He takes second time VBAC moms, which I fall into, but if you're not going to be VBAC friendly, you're not, yeah. If you're not going to be VBAC friendly to my first time VBAC mamas, I'm not coming to you. (laughs) You're not getting my business. So I decided to go with an even more VBAC friendly doctor who I'm pretty confident in. I've worked with him before for VBACs and he was pretty great. I mean, she had it, they've had VBACs. So I feel like I'm even more prepared this time. This time I'm a birth doula. I've been a birth doula for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and now I've taken your course. So now I'm a yeah. VBAG trained doula. That's right. So I mean, I feel like I have I feel like I have everything in the right place this time to be able to avoid those couple of extra bumps in the road. That's awesome. I want to talk a little bit more about doulas and specifically our VBAG doulas. Did you know that we have? Like, we're building this army of VBAC doulas. Mm-hmm. Like, we have, let's see, I'm counting right now. We have, like, let's see, 4, 8, 12, 16 states with VBAC trained doulas in them now. But you know what? We get messages all the time, at least, I would say, at least once or twice a week from people looking for VBAC doulas in their states, and we just don't have any VBAC trained doulas in their states yet. And so I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, Brittany is amazing and it is a really <laughs> big struggle in the in the South for VBAC. So like North and South Carolina, Louisiana, parts of Florida, mm-hmm. um, areas like that are, are really not as VBAC supportive of, uh, as other parts of the country. So if you're in one of those Southern states, we actually have several of them in our directory right now. Um, we have Virginia, North Carolina, Louisiana. And so if you want to find Brittany and you want to have her as your doula, you should go to our website, thevbacklink.com slash find a doula. And you can just 
click on her state, Louisiana, and that's where you will find her information. And you can do that same thing for whatever state you're in, the vbacklink.com slash find a doula. Now, listen up. I want to put a special message out to doulas in Washington State, in Oregon, and in Texas. That's probably where we get asked the most. most. Yeah, like, for sure. I need a VBAC. We still know we still don't have VBAC doulas in Washington. We still don't have VBAC doulas in Texas or Oregon. I think those are our top three right now. And so, if you are a doula in one of those states, um, sign up for our course right away because whenever we have parents looking for VBAC resources in a particular area, the first thing we do is go to our doula directory find out what which of our VBAC doulas are in their state and we send them the information from mm-hmm. from the from the doulas. And let me tell you, Washington, Oregon, and Texas, we get asked about you guys a lot. So if you want us to help start referring expecting parents to you, take our training, get listed as a trained doula. We have a whole entire certification process. We award four CEUs through ICEA so you can get your continuing education units as well for the course. And so if you are a parent and you don't see a doula in your state, we have a special deal for when a parent and a doula sign up to take the course together, then you each get $20 off of the course. So yeah. it's called the Parent Doula Bundle. It's in our shop, the vbacklink.com slash shop. So if you're in a state that's not listed already, find your doula, hire her, and then sign up for the course together. And guess what? You are both going to have the same knowledge and know exactly what you need to do to have a higher chance of a successful vaginal birth. You're going to know exactly how to navigate unexpected situations. You're going to ex- know exactly what you need to find in a VBAC provider and so many other things. Mm-hmm. Um, we've taken a lot of time and energy and put it into this course so that you don't have to go and dig through studies and dig through research and dig through hours and hours on the internet or finding asking questions on Facebook groups where you might get answers that are not as backed by evidence or supportive. So we really encourage you to do that. Doulas and parents, doulas, sign up with your clients. Parents, sign up with your doulas. We want, our goal is to educate the whole entire world on VBAC so we can increase the VBAC success rates and we can reduce the overall cesarean rate. I don't know what else more I can say. I feel like I don't have a really good ending point for that no. little thing. Megan, talk about our <laughs> no, class. No, I'm just saying, you know, hit <laughs> us up. In. Hit us up if you have questions on it. You know, email us. We're happy to answer anything about this. So I'm totally going to put Brittany on the spot. But is there anything that stood out to you, Brittany, about the course or anything that, I don't know, What what's your testimonial on it? You're yeah. What, personally, <laughs> you're, you're a mom and doula that's personally taken it. So what would you, what would you say? I don't know. <laughs> I'm on the spot. I um, know, sorry. <laughs> no, going, and it's okay. Going, I mean, going into taking the course, I felt like I was already pretty much, you know, self-educated on VBAC. So there wasn't much that, like, I didn't already know, I guess, like, and I, I put it, I put it in my testimony, like in my feedback mm-hmm. um, after I took the course. Um, the biggest thing that stood out to me was um, women of color because like, I think it was like two weeks after I took the course, I had a VBAC woman of color and um, she wasn't like terribly mistreated during her birth, but it just, it made me more aware during her birth of things to look out for. And I've had women of color before clients and I could I could totally see the differences in care they got whether they were VBAC or not 
that portion really stood out to me, like seeing the statistics and seeing, like just seeing the numbers in my face, I think really spoke to me the most. But um, no, I, that, that part really did stick out to me the most. Like, I, I guess because I, I didn't really know the numbers before. Right. Like everything else, I really, like I knew the numbers, I knew the statistics and the, you know, the VBAC calculator and all that. I knew all the numbers for all that, but just seeing it for that particular portion really opened my eyes. Yeah, and the racial disparity um, in the birth space is is even bigger in the southern states. It, it's, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> so that's yeah. why we put that in there is because mm-hmm. it's even harder for, you know, we, and, and I bet when you're thinking about what would a VBAC education class contain, women of color probably did, wasn't the first thing that popped in your mind. And so we really do okay. cover everything. And so you do. I'm glad that you brought that up because sometimes it's hard for people to really understand how much they don't know. Mm-hmm. And I know right. that me and Megan both felt that way um, going into our cesarean bursts, but also going into our feedback bursts as we look back. And yeah, the more you know, the more power you have. For that's sure. just that's just exactly. a matter of fact. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, so Thank much. Thank you, guys. I was so excited to do this. I'm so glad I got yeah. the chance. It's awesome. It's We're so glad awesome. to have our first foreign be back trained to doula. Oh, just <laughs> We're in Utah. We live in a bubble. We don't. We don't have much racial disparity in Utah as it is. <laughs> but we're so glad to have you. Really, um, we're glad to have you part of our VBAC doula family, and we cannot wait um, to see what you do to help influence VBAC for good in that in those southern states. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.